This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where early voting is now underway in 52 of the 67 counties, including all the major metro areas of the state. More than 2.5 million Floridians have already voted thanks to mail-in ballots. Looks like this is the day we'll reach another milestone in the battle against COVID-19. When the state releases the list of casualties today, it's likely the number of Floridians killed by the virus will pass the 16,000 mark. Meanwhile, the Florida Gators are featured in a new ad that attacks the president's response to coronavirus. So many voted for Trump because he promised to drain the swamp. I said we would drain the swamp, and that's exactly what we're doing right now. And because of his failure, this swamp is drained of not just fans, but of football itself. That's from the Lincoln Project, some GOP never-Trumpers who are doing their best to get the president out of the White House. During the governor's push to reopen as many businesses as possible during the pandemic, Florida's unemployment rate went up by three-tenths of a percentage point in September. Florida's September 2020 unemployment rate was up 0.3 percentage point from the revised August 2020 rate and up 4% point seven percentage points from the September 2019 rate. Under normal circumstances, an increase of this size would set off all sorts of alarms in state government and the Chamber of Commerce. But in the age of COVID-19, heck, it's just another day at the office. The archaeologist hired by the state to search for more hidden graves at the former juvenile prison known as the Dozier School for Boys says they've completed their work and cannot find any more hidden graves at the campus in Mariana. But survivors of Dozier are not convinced. Because it's not going to be over until we say it's over. This is exactly what I expected from you. Remember, I had dealings with Florida before. There's still 150. 180 people that's not accounted for, along with all of the records. Today on Sunrise, a deep dive into Dozier. You will hear from three survivors. We'll also have your calendar of political events and check in with a couple of Florida men who were jailed for something they ate or wanted to eat. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, October 19th. On this day in 1781, Britain's Lord Cornwallis surrendered at Yorktown, Virginia, handing a major victory to General George Washington and effectively ending the American Revolution and assuring America's independence. The general election is still two weeks away, but early voting is now happening in most of Florida. It began this morning in 52 of the 67 counties, including all the major population centers. Early voting begins Tuesday in Liberty and Sumter counties, on Wednesday in Dixie and Gilchrist counties, and on Thursday in Baker, Columbia, Hardy, and Highlands counties. Now, all of the counties will be open for early voting by Saturday. That's when Bay, Glades, Gulf, Hamilton, Suwannee, Union, and Walton counties will join in the fun. The start of early voting also means you can drop your vote-by-mail ballot in person. That's if you're having doubts about actually sending it in by mail. However, I have to tell you, the post office is still doing their job. I mailed my ballot the Friday before last, and by Tuesday, my vote had been received, open, and counted by the local elections office. More than 2.5 million Floridians have already voted by mail, including 750,000 Republicans, 1.4 million Democrats, and half a million NPAs, people with no party affiliation. Most people think of NPAs as independents, but we don't use that term here because there's a group in Florida called the Independence Party. So if you register as an independent in Florida, you are not. You're a member of a minor political party with no viable candidates and no money in the bank. The Florida Department of Health reported 2,539 more coronavirus cases and 50 new deaths on Sunday. More than 755,000 Floridians have been infected so far, and the death toll has reached 16,168. 
Now, 201 of those victims were residents of other states or countries, so the number of Floridians who've been killed is still under 16,000. But we should eclipse that number when today's list of casualties is released. Saturday's football game between the Florida Gators and the LSU Tigers had to be postponed after an outbreak of COVID-19 on the UF team. Dissident Republicans who formed the Lincoln Project to try to defeat Donald Trump decided to point out that this was the one swamp the president really has managed to drain. Here's the commercial. Ben Hill Griffin Stadium, also known as the Swamp. Following the example set by Donald Trump, Gators coach Dan Mullen demands 90,000 fans pack the stadium this weekend for the big game against LSU. Despite COVID-19, despite over 200,000 deaths, the Gators coach wanted to create the best game day atmosphere possible until 21 Florida football players test positive for COVID-19, forcing the game to be postponed. So many voted for Trump because he promised to drain the swamp. I said we would drain the swamp, and that's exactly what we're doing right now. And because of his failure, this swamp is drained of not just fans, but of football itself. On Saturday, the day the game had been scheduled, Coach Mullen announced that he too has contracted COVID-19 and is self-isolating. Florida ranks third in the U.S. for total positive COVID-19 cases, trailing California and Texas. Despite the danger, Governor Ron DeSantis has been doing everything he can to reopen the state and get companies back in business, but the latest news from the state unemployment office is not good. While DeSantis spins the narrative that Floridians are going back to work, the unemployment rate actually increased in September substantially. Adrian Johnson runs the Bureau of Labor Market Statistics at the Department of Economic Opportunity. Florida's seasonally adjusted unemployment rate in September 2020 was 7.6%. This represented 770,000 jobless individuals out of a labor force of 10,143,000. Florida's September 2020 unemployment rate was up 0.3 percentage point from the revised August 2020 rate and up 4.7 percentage points from the September 2019 rate. Florida's September unemployment rate was lower than the national rate of 7.9%. Florida's labor force was 10,143,000 in September 2020. This was down 260,000 from the September 2019 level. This was a decline of 2.5%. In September 2020, Osceola County had the highest unemployment rate with 13.3%, followed by Miami-Dade County with 13%. Lafayette County had the state's lowest unemployment rate with 3.4%, followed by Wakulla County, 3.6%. Johnson says Florida added more than 47,000 jobs last month, but a lot of jobs were also lost, and the number of people on the unemployment list increased by 27,000. Total non-agricultural employment grew to 8,532,500 jobs in September 2020. This was up 47,300 jobs, or 0.6% from August 2020. Eight out of 10 major industry sectors in Florida gained jobs over the month. All major industries lost jobs over the year. Trade transportation and utilities gained 12,900 jobs over the month, and this was driven by 8,600 jobs gained in retail trade. Government added 11,200 jobs over the month, largely driven by local government job gains and education and health services added 6,900 jobs over the month. The industries that lost jobs over the month were other services and construction. 
The 2020 seasonally adjusted local area data showed that 20 of the 24 metro areas in Florida had over the month job gains. The West Palm Beach metro area gained the most jobs with 10,100 and Panama City grew the fastest at a rate of 2%. Other metro areas gaining jobs over the month were Fort Lauderdale, Pompano Beach, Deerfield Beach metro area with 6,800 jobs and Miami, Miami Beach, Kendall metro area with 6,400 jobs. After sharing the disappointing news about unemployment, the DEO actually had a bit of good news for people struggling to find work. The unemployment rate got so high this year that it triggered a provision in state law that increases benefits from 12 weeks, which is about the lowest in the country, to 19 weeks beginning next year. That's still lower than most states, but it's more than people receive this year from Florida. The forensic archaeologist leading a team that's been searching the grounds of an old juvenile prison known as the Dozier School for Boys says they can't find any more hidden graves on the sprawling campus and their investigation is done. But survivors of Dozier say it's not over yet and they'd like to look for themselves. That's next on Sunrise In-Depth. But first, a word from the sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. Predict It is like the stock market for all things politics. Instead of trading stock in companies, you're investing money into your opinions on everything from election results to how many times President Trump will tweet this week. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Our podcast listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Try it today. Welcome back to Sunrise. Florida has plenty of secrets in its collective closet, and few of those are as horrible as the abuse committed on children who were sent to a juvenile prison in Marietta called the Dozier School for Boys. More than 500 former students have come forward over the years to report physical, sexual, and mental abuse at the hands of those who worked there. Kids were also killed at the school, and their bodies were buried in unmarked graves. Dr. Aaron Kimberly at the University of South Florida led a team of archaeologists that found 55 graves at Dozier. They spent years searching for more. But on Friday, she told state officials the investigation has gone as far as it can, and they did not find any more bodies. Florida Secretary of State Laurel Lee hopes this will provide some small measure of comfort for the survivors of Dozier. So I would like to uh, first thank Dr. Kimberly and her team. I think what we've heard here today is that she and her team uh, worked very thoroughly, very diligently, and very comprehensively to attempt to identify uh, anything that we all as a state uh, or we all as stakeholders uh, needed to know that, that could be found, anything remaining that could be found uh, out of the site. We had taken all possible steps uh, to both investigate, review, and research uh, the site that exists. We have DEO, DMS, DEP, FDLE, uh, the governor's office, and of course my own, who have all worked collaboratively, collaboratively and diligently uh, to discover review, analyze, and share with the public any information that we could develop uh, and that we have exhausted uh, to, to the satisfaction of Dr. Kimmerly, our team of archaeologists and the experts uh, who study these types of grounds and these types of lands, all methods that they felt were possible at this time for us to identify any additional information. But the survivors are not satisfied. John Bell spent eight months at Dozier as a kid. He's one of the White House boys. That's the name they gave to a small building on campus where the worst of the beatings were administered and where children disappeared. We, the White House boys, we know what has happened in that school. We're trying to present our facts to the state of Florida to get this thing accomplished and over with. 
that has been going on for way too long. And as a White House boy, I'm going to say it's going to continue to go on because it's not going to be over until we say it's over. Another White House boy by the name of Charles Fudge wonders why none of them were allowed to join the archaeologists during the search. And his friend Rachel McCoy says the survivors should have the opportunity to search on their own. How hard would it be to let these men that have been there, none of us have been there, they have been there. There's nothing wrong with letting these men walk the property with dogs and with Dr. Kimberly, whoever needs to be there. I mean... Please let them do that. Give them that. Y'all keep asking what we need. This is what they need. I mean, how hard? I'm sorry if we find more or we don't. I mean, there's still 150. 180 people that's not accounted for along with all the records. And I appreciate all the work that Dr. Kimberly has done. But that whole property all the way over fences because, I mean, you're going back 111 years. I mean, there are other things that can be done and to set everybody's mind at ease. And we could lay it to rest. And we've been told in many meetings of things that could be done. I mean, it's not that hard to let them. They're not just the public. They were there. So that is a big difference. So that is an insult to our intelligence, honestly. The archeologists use high-tech like drone surveys and ground-penetrating radar to search for unmarked graves. But Dr. Kimberly says they were hampered by the impacts from Hurricane Michael and the overgrowth of thick trees and brush that prevented the radar from getting accurate readings beneath those trees. Dozier survivor Gary Rice says the whole thing stinks of a cover-up. The state of Florida, along with the county of Jackson, with possibly help from the city of Mariana, who at the time enjoyed a $5.8 million donation to clean up the juvenile death camp called Dozier, has partial evidence of a cover-up. I point out that the first round investigative digging by Dr. Kimberly, which I appreciate by the way, doctor, was done with small tools of the trade, brushes, and also the work was done in a painstaking way with many students. This, they, the pace was a stale pace. They were there to find the truth. I personally saw the pictures of the graves that you call anomalies. I dug graves for a living at the graveyard my grandparents are buried in. I know what a grave looks like. Those pictures were scrubbed from the web but my thick crawler got a copy. The bulldozers used to, quote, investigate, close quote, the 27 graves was to prevent anyone from ever discovering the truth. Just so you know, for the record, this is exactly what I expected from you. Remember, I had dealings with Florida before. I've also got a copy of the empty, empty apologies given to me by the state of Florida because at the time we were promised more. This is just the beginning, and I'm quoting. You are sadly tasked with protecting Florida's financial interests and to be sure they never have to pay for their crimes. You here today simply represent those that murdered, tortured, raped, and molested the children of the state of Florida. They gave me an apology for You have no serious interest in any of the White House boys. You don't even consider covering the costs for their rooms and travel. Many White House boys are in prison, and many are on welfare. You are like the men on the boat in the movie Jaws, desperate to survive, picking at the sharks that were eating them from the legs up. Like those men, you will be eaten by those sharks. We are not the sharks. The sharks are your very own families, who when they see how you treated the crimes against children done by the state of Florida, they will become those sharks. I know this is a harsh truth, and I have no animosity whatsoever. I just think you needed to hear the truth. 
After more than 100 years in operation, Dozier was finally closed in 2011. Six years later, the state formally apologized to the survivors and their families for the abuses and the deaths that occurred there. Your calendar of events, well, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, this is the day early voting begins in most of the counties of Florida. At 9, the Department of Transportation holds a hearing on a plan to build a toll road from Collier to Polk counties. Susan McManus, the longtime political science professor at the University of South Florida, will talk about the impact of women voting during an online event hosted by the Florida Commission on the Status of Women at noon. Florida International University holds an online event at noon to discuss the impact of Muslim voters on the 2020 elections. The FSU Presidential Search Advisory Committee holds its first meeting at 1. They're looking for a replacement for retiring President John Thrasher. The State Agency for Persons with Disabilities will hold an online workshop at 1 about rules to carry out a state law that makes changes in the iBudget program for people with developmental and intellectual disabilities. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency Administrator will hold a news conference at 2 in Boca Raton to talk about reducing global marine litter. And at 6 tonight, Joe Biden's campaign will join State Representative Chevron Jones for an event as part of the Black Man Vote Initiative. A Florida man is charged with stealing and killing a horse that was found butchered in Palmetto. The horse was actually stolen from a stable in Manatee County almost a year ago, and when they found the carcass, investigators realized it had been slaughtered for meat. 40-year-old Eladio Garcia Gasca of St. Petersburg is charged with grand theft and animal cruelty. Finally, is that a lobster in your pants, or are you just happy to see me? A Florida man is busted by state wildlife officers after they noticed a suspicious bulge in his pants. Turns out they were lobster tails, and 27-year-old Gary Pinson admitted he was stuffing them down his pants when the grouper troopers weren't looking. He's now facing several lobster-related criminal charges. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we continue to plumb the depths of Florida politics. (laughs) 